3: bringing the light of Christ to start your day.
0: This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio.
2: Five minutes after the hour, it's Wednesday, December 8th. Good morning and welcome to Morning Air on the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Patronal Feast Day of the United States. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us on this special feast day of Our Lady. We start each hour giving thanks to our Lord through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, when we pray in the name of the Father, Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of life and of Relevant Radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church on this last day of the year of St. Joseph, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us, and we invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the playbook of life is from Luke 128. Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. These are the words of the angel Gabriel to Mary, our blessed mother, who calls her full of grace. This says that she has the fullness of grace. Grazia plena. Let us invoke our Blessed Mother, the Immaculate Conception, to intercede for us on this day. Let's pray with great confidence to Jesus our Lord, Jesus I trust in you. Now I want to share a special historical feature to help us better understand the development of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary that we are celebrating today. Even though the dogma of the Immaculate Conception wasn't formally defined until the 19th century, the Catholic Church has always believed in the teaching from the earliest of times. The scriptural basis for the understanding that Mary was sinless can be found in the story of the Annunciation from Luke 1.28 when the angel Gabriel calls Mary full of grace to indicate that she had the fullness of grace. This would have been impossible, if the Blessed Mother had been stained by any type of sin, because all sin diminishes grace. Early Church Fathers such as St. Justin Martyr, St. Irenaeus, St. Ephraim, St. Ambrose and St. Augustine all believed that Sacred Scripture and Sacred Tradition taught Mary was free from personal sin. In the Middle Ages, church doctors with a strong devotion to the Blessed Mother like St. Bernard, St. Thomas Aquinas, and St. Bonaventure all had some challenges understanding the teaching of the Immaculate Conception because it seemed to imply that Mary didn't need a Savior. In the 13th century, Blessed Dun Scotus, known as the Marian Doctor, was a big proponent of the Immaculate Conception, and he proved that Mary's preservation from original sin did not mean she didn't need a savior in her son, Jesus Christ. In 1848, Pope Pius IX consulted with 20 theologians and 603 bishops from around the world concerning their opinions on Mary's Immaculate Conception. Of those 603 bishops, 546 were in favor of a definition, four were opposed, and the rest were undecided. Finally, after consulting with four cardinals, Pope Pius IX issued the papal encyclical called In a Fabulous Deus on December 8, 1854. It was reported that on that morning when the Pope read the encyclical in St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican, a ray of light fell on Pius IX at that very moment. It was an amazing phenomenon because in no season, much less just before winter, and from no window of St. Peter's Basilica, could a ray of light reach the apse where the Pope was. It seemed to be a ray of heavenly approval for the dogma that stated, the most blessed Virgin Mary from the first moment of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege from Almighty God, and by virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race, was preserved immune from all stain of original sin. Four years later, the Blessed Mother would appear to Saint Bernadette Subaru in Lourdes, France on February 11, 1858, calling herself the Immaculate Conception. Father Francis Hoffman, Father Rocky, is the CEO of Relevant Radio. The way the, um, the theologians have expressed this doctrine, and it was actually Don Scotus in the Middle Ages uh, who, who worked this out, uh, it was a very... Um, uh, economical phrase in Latin, and it goes like this: Potuit, decuit, ergo fecit, Which means God could do it; it was fitting that He did it, and so He did it. That's the theological argument for our understanding of the dogma of the immaculate conception. God could preserve her from original sin because God can do anything. It was fitting that he did it, because if you're going to um, choose a woman to be the mother of Jesus Christ, to be the mother of God, it would be fitting that she be uh, preserved from any, any sin. And so he did it. He, he could do it. It was fitting, so he did it. As Archbishop Fulton Sheen once said, if you could create your own mother, wouldn't you want her free from all sin? Our Lord did create his own mother. She is the Immaculate Conception, our Blessed Mother, who we honor today? Our number, if you want to be part of the show, eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. That's triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. On today's Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception and throughout our Advent journey, we reflect upon Mary's role in bringing Jesus to the world and upon Mary's many virtues and what we can learn from her. Joining us now is journalist and speaker, Kate Wicker, to talk about how Mary can help us in our faith journey during Advent. Kate is a wife, a mom of five kids, a bibliophile, fitness enthusiast, eating disorder, survivor, and perfectionist in recovery. As well as a longtime Morning Air contributor, Kate's the author of Getting Past Perfect, How to Find Joy and Grace in the Messiness of Motherhood, and Weightless, Making Peace with Your Body. Good morning, Kate. Welcome back to Morning Air. Thanks so much for joining us. Happy Feast of the Immaculate Conception.
3: You, too. It's a it's a great day.
2: Absolutely. It is a great day. Uh, in On this uh, solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, uh, we're celebrating uh, our Blessed Mother Mary, the Mother of God. Uh, can you share with us uh, y- the story of your nana that ties in yes. beautifully with this feast day?
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to this. Uh, you know, our, our Mother of God, she is someone without sin, so I think that can sometimes uh, intimidate us, and it shouldn't, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but I remember my nana, it was my father's mom, and she has since passed away, but she was definitely the matriarch and the Catholic, kind of the paragon of faith for our family, just always had a really strong faith and also was very intellectual, so she could talk about Aquinas and all these great uh, philosophers and pretty much refute any argument you might have against the church or some of the church's dogma. And I remember when I was a fairly new mom, she got to meet some of her great grandbabies. um, I was telling her that I found a lot of comfort in Mary because she stood at the foot of the cross. She knew what it was like to have a wakeful newborn and all of these um, sort of struggles and challenges we face in the trenches of motherhood. And Nana uh, uh, quickly kind of quipped in her, she had a very wry sense of humor. She said, you know, I never could really relate to the mother of God as well as I thought I should, because I had nine imperfect children and I was imperfect. And here she was, the mother, you know, immaculately conceived and then the mother of the son of God. (laughs) And so it kind of made me chuckle. And then I started to think about it, though, and I thought I had never really thought about it in that way, which is funny as a recovering perfectionist. You would think that I would have this this trouble relating to this mirror of perfection and all these virtues we extol to Mary. But something that is beautiful to me, and I think that we have to remember on the feast day, that just because she was sinless. It doesn't mean that she didn't sometimes struggle. And something that's comforting to me, one of the really comforting passages is when she finds Jesus in the temple and she says, why did you do this to us? You know, she, she had that fear that a mom has when you think you've lost your child and you can't find them. And he explains why I was in my father's house and you know, and, and kind of this uh, uh, nebulous answer that she maybe didn't quite understand, fully understand at the time. And yet, like everything, she trusts and she accepts it with grace. And so I think we can see that our doubts and our questions, those in and of itself, those aren't sins. And we're supposed to sometimes yearn for things or question things. That's part of our humanity, and that is an opportunity to draw closer to Christ and to be like Mary and to be a Christ bearer in the world and carry him within us. But in order to do that, we have to learn to have her type of trust, like when Gabriel came to her and she found out she was going to be the mother of God. Um, so all of these moments in her life that she maybe didn't understand what was happening, but her faith overrode that uncertainty. <laughs>
2: Kate, uh, as a mom of five kids, nobody knows your children better than you. Nobody in the history of mankind knew our Lord Jesus uh, better than his mother, our blessed mother, Mary. Uh, can you relate to how special that relationship must have been, uh, how well she knew him? Uh, she uh, gave uh, Jesus her own flesh. She, she washed his clothes. She dressed him. She taught, us, uh, taught him the, the scriptures. Uh, uh, such an important part of, of his life.
3: Yeah, I think it's such a beautiful thing for everyone to reflect on, but especially mothers, whether you're a physical mother or a spiritual mother caring for people in society or children, if you teach, or um, a nurse, if you're caring, or a doctor, if you're caring for patients. um, These gifts that we have as females that were certainly manifested in Mary and to reflect, just to meditate on that, how Mary, like you said, she did all of these kind of um, mundane things that moms do, too, like chasing after, you know, a toddler making sure um, you make the food is in choke-proof bits and, you know, all these little things that we don't really think of that we can certainly offer up to God. Um, one of the most meaningful mat- Advent seasons I've ever had is my fifth child was born on January 3rd, so I, like Mary, was walking through Advent quite pregnant and, um, it was such a beautiful thing for me to reflect on how she had all of these uh, labor pain. She went and she was tired and on um, the donkey or whatever, you know, going to Bethlehem with Joseph and felt the aches and pains of motherhood. And then later on, those physical aches and pains became emotional. Um, Just standing at the foot of the cross and watching your child suffer and, And mothers, whether we watch our child emotionally suffer, maybe they're ostracized socially, or we see them deal with some sort of difficult diagnosis, or just a frustrated child trying, you know, I think about my little preschooler now, trying to get independence and trying to figure out things on his own. And as a mom, sometimes you want to swoop right in and and rescue them. But sometimes we just have to stand at that foot of the cross and offer it up to God and just, and, 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 Join our misery and our suffering with our Blessed Mother and know that she can hold her hand. And she's a mother to us all, whether we're mothers or not. That's another really comforting thing is she wants to carry us under her mantle and keep us close and comfort us. And so we can always seek that, seek out that comfort in this, this, this Mama Mary um, that is just with us today and always.
2: I love that. Uh, this Mama Mary, the, uh, the mother yep. <laughs> of all mankind, uh, the great Marian theologian, uh, St. Louis de Montfort, uh, spoke extensively about the many virtues of our Blessed Mother. Can you talk about a few of those virtues?
3: Yeah, I can remember when I decided to do his consecration to Mary, and that was another time, not only my Nana's conversation with me, but when I started reading about all of her virtues and thinking, Whoa heroic patience because a lot of times people will see the, the size of my family or whatever and they'll think um, in the secular world oh my goodness you must have so much patience you were designed to do this but there's that saying that um, God doesn't call the equipped he he equips the called and I am not naturally a patient person and you can ask any of my children that <laughs> that that's a virtue Um of mary's that i've had to really work on and i don't know if i'll ever get to the heroic part but i definitely have become a little bit more patient um, throughout the years and able to let some of the small things go um, and look beyond it uh, and to see the greater purpose so that's always one of the virtues that um, really applied to me i also or i could relate to i also love ardent charity um, because to me Charity is just that's just such an important part of our Christian life, Um, especially during Advent. You know, we're supposed to look out for the less of us and look out and see Jesus and everybody. And I think if we can reflect on Mary's just charity, not only with her her baby son and her teenage son and growing up with Jesus, but she was just this charitable person. And one of the reasons she was able to practice these virtues is because not only that she was full of grace, but because she opened herself to that grace of God and she opened herself to the love of God. And the more we open ourselves to that and the more we fill ourselves with that, the more we have to give to others within the confines of our home and beyond. Um, That's when we can really start to um, practice that God is love and people, even those who aren't believers, will start to see wow, this person, maybe they won't call it God at the time, but they'll think this person is a loving person and I want to be like that. And eventually, hopefully, they'll see that that source of that love and that ardent charity um, comes from our Christian faith. So I those are the two, um, when I was doing the consecration and reflecting on that, that really spoke to me not only as a mother, but as a human being trying to live out this Christian life and, trying to be the most loving person that I can, and obviously failing and stumbling all the time, but um, picking myself back up and relying on the graces of all the beautiful sacraments we have as Catholics.
2: And Kate, uh, St. Louis de Montfort greatly influenced uh, Pope St. John Paul II, who also had a lot to say about the Blessed Mother. In fact, he dedicated his entire pontificate, totus us to her.
3: Yes, totally yours, and um, that's just such a beautiful, too beautiful thing, too. And I encourage any listeners if they haven't looked at Saint Pope John Paul II, some of his writings on Mary, Mary, and just motherhood, and not just physical motherhood. He's the one that really opened this door to me about uh, spiritual motherhood and about the feminine genius, which are these gifts that mary had and that all women have and that we need to bring these gifts into the world i love the wedding at cana when um, mary says do whatever you tell you um, whatever he my son tells you and i think that that's still what she would tell us is listen to jesus listen to god try and discern and then go out there and like me be christ bearers to the world christ is um with us and we can carry him to others and the world is really hungry for that compassionate touch and that feminine genius, that special sensitivity that can manifest in all sorts of ways. Like I've thought of it as the, if a healthcare provider perhaps who sees the person and, and, and not just the disease or um, a female uh, CEO on a, a corporate board that considers the human cost of some big, corporate decision or even as I look to my teenage daughters the 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 child who recognizes the kid that's pushed to the social margins and you know reaches out to them or um, as simple as being in a waiting room and putting down your cell phone long enough to just smile at someone who maybe needs that that interaction especially um as we've struggled with um some of the challenges of the pandemic wearing masks and things like that um, I think we're we 're hungrier than ever for that human connection, and like Mary, we can bring that to others and do whatever he tells us and love others. <laughs>
2: Kate, uh, our Blessed Mother, she may be the Immaculate Conception, uh, so pure, but she was also very human. Can you imagine uh, the fear that she must have experienced when this archangel Gabriel appears to her and tells her that uh, she's going to be growing a baby in her womb, and that baby would be God himself?
3: Yeah, again, I can't even fathom the the type of faith and trust she had um, going back to my fifth child I had my four children, and then another baby wasn't coming along. And so I waited a few years, and then I just thought, you know what? This is God's plan for my family. And so my husband and I started saving for a trip that we had wanted to go on with the kids, and I gave away all my baby stuff. And then on Mother's Day, I found out I was pregnant with my fifth after, you know, not having any children for like six years. (laughs) And so I certainly not in the same um, way that Mary struggled but I certainly could relate to this all of a sudden the fear of the unknown like oh my gosh like this wasn't part of my plan and so I think any woman um, in a crisis pregnancy or who just has an unexpected pregnancy um, can turn to Mary and really ask for her intercession
2: And do whatever he tells you, as she reminds us. Uh, Kate, uh, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, Thanks uh, for for sharing and helping us to begin to celebrate this beautiful feast day of the Immaculate Conception of our Blessed Mother. Uh, Thanks so much.
3: Of course. God bless.
2: God bless you, too. Uh, You can uh, find much more about Kate at katewicker.com and on Instagram at katewicker. Kate Wicker, journalist and speaker, a mother of five children, as well as a longtime Morning Air contributor. We need to take a short break. When Morning Air continues, our Rome correspondent, Ashley Narona, will be with us for the latest news from the Vatican on the Holy Father. Stay with us. There's much more. We're just warming up here on Morning Air. We're going to take a short time out. minutes after the hour welcome back to morning air happy solemnity of the immaculate conception i'm john morales along with glenn leverans thanks so much for joining us this day on this big feast day of our Blessed Mother. Now it's time to bring Rome to home as we do every Wednesday at this time for the latest news from the Vatican. We go live uh, to the Eternal City and our Rome correspondent Ashley Narona, who's joining us this morning from the Pontifical North American College. Ashley and her husband John founded the Truth and Beauty Project, providing Renaissance-style theological formation for visitors to Rome. You can read much more about them at John and Ashley. Good morning. Buongiorno, Ashley. Happy Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Great to be with you once again from Roma.
1: Hey, John. Buona festa of the Immacolata. Happy feast day to you.
2: Great to be with you. And as I mentioned. at the top, you're joining us from the Pontifical North American College, and sure it's a big day there as well.
1: Oh, it is such a big celebration here, John. And not only is it a special day, but it is also the feast of the college. It's the patronal feast. So actually, there's such an interesting history of the Pontifical North American College, John. It was actually initially proposed back in 1854, which is, of course, the same year that Pope Pius IX solemnly declared the Immaculate Conception. And so then uh, five years after that, after the promulgation of the dogma, the Pontifical North American College was officially opened, uh, of course, under the patroness of of Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception. And so since that time, of course, it has been a place where priests from the United States can come to be formed for service of the church in the US, and uh, so it's such a wonderful place to be. There's 140 men here, John, who are currently living here and then studying at the various pontifical universities throughout the city of Rome. And uh, I, I just it, today was such a lovely celebration. There was a beautiful mass, absolutely gorgeous singing from the choir, which of course had to start with the entrance procession, the hymn of uh, Immaculate Mary, and then Car- His Eminence Cardinal O'Brien celebrated the mass, reminding everyone, of course, that uh, of how Our Lady's prayers have have carried her priests over the years. And then began the celebration. There's a a wonderful lunch that happens. And then uh, there's also a tradition of three toasts, John, that happened here today. So every year, uh, one toast is given by one of the, the faculty members to the Holy Father. Then one of the priests will give a toast to America. And then the third toast will be given to the Pontifical North American College here. And it's a moment that we all look forward to, to celebrate together. And then all of it will end today, John, with the singing of the Salve Regina and especially invoking Our Lady's intercession on this special day, John.
2: Sounds like a a beautiful day of celebrations (laughs) and so fitting because uh, the Immaculate Conception is the patroness of the United States. And so with so many American priests and seminarians uh, getting ready uh, there at the Pontifical uh, North American College, uh, it's only fitting.
1: Exactly. And the beautiful uh, chapel here where they celebrate the daily masses, where they have the Liturgy of the Hours each day, that is also dedicated to Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception. And there's a gorgeous mosaic of Our Lady there. So that was what we were able to meditate on this morning throughout the Holy Mass. So a, a beautiful day started off in a beautiful way, John.
2: Let's uh, talk about uh, Pope Francis. Uh, He did not have an audience like like he normally does, Uh, but what was his message today uh, during his Angelus on this feast, uh, the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception?
1: Yes, exactly. So there are certain days throughout the year when the Holy Father delivers the Angelus message, uh, and this is one of those special days. So even if it is not a Sunday, he will still go to the St. Peter's Square stand there at the window of the apostolic palace and pray with the tens of thousands of people who've gathered down below. So that is what happened today. And today on that feast, he especially focus on the importance of humility, that we should all look to Mary's humility. And when we do, we will, in his words, attract God's eye. He said that we were reminded in the liturgy today that, of course, brings us right into the house of Nazareth, imagining what her experience would have been when she received the message from the angel. And Pope Francis said that the that, that gospel really is showing us the beauty of Our Lady's heart. Of course, reminding us that she, who is full of grace, that she is without sin, is immaculate, and that Mary, even though that's the case, she's still troubled at the angel's greeting. Uh, but she, of course, comes to understand that she has been asked and should not be, and does not exalt herself, but instead, even though she's It feels like the the angel's greeting is is very grand, maybe even too grand for her, he says. But he says that that humility that she shared is what really attracted God's eye. And so that is something that we should all strive for. He said to live humbly and to live joyfully. And that is something that Our Lady certainly models for us. So he asks all the faithful not to lose heart, to remember that no one who has ever asked for the help of Our Lady has ever been abandoned. And
2: John. I can imagine um, the crowd uh, must have been quite enthusiastic on this day uh, uh, outside uh, uh, St. Peter's Basilica there in the piazza.
1: Well, John, today is actually an official holiday here in Italy, which is such a wonderful thing that we have a holiday, a feast day, to celebrate the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. And so that means that schools are closed, businesses are closed, uh, stores are closed, and everybody is meant to be celebrating this day and enjoying the time with their family as well. And uh, of course, as, as you know, because we've talked about it so many times, John, the Italians certainly know how to celebrate so this is a this is a day where they will be doing just that and uh, and many Italians are, are taking advantage of this day off to to take vacations with their families as well and so many have, have come into Rome just to celebrate this special feast John
2: is the pandemic affecting any of these uh, festivities here on, on this solemnity
1: You know, right now we have a very, very low death rate, 99 in the entire country of Italy yesterday. So um, in that sense, uh, there is not, uh, you know, people do not seem to be deterred. Uh, On the other hand, there are very strict restrictions still, which do in some ways tend to put a damper on on celebrations these days.
2: What kind of celebrations are going on in Rome today for for this solemnity of the Immaculate Conception?
1: (laughs) Well, first of all, this day kicks off Christmas season here. So, this is the day when we will see stores, family homes and stores turn on their Christmas lights and uh the and in fact, another major thing that will happen here in the city of Rome is that they will actually light the Christmas tree, the official Rome Christmas tree. It's a lighting ceremony that is done by the mayor every year. And the Christmas tree is right in the heart of Rome, in Piazza Venezia. The Christmas tree...
2: Looks like uh, we have lost our our connection uh, with Ashley. We probably ought to take a, a short break. There's much more as we continue here on Morning Air. 44 minutes after the hour, happy Feast of the Immaculate Conception, and welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales as we continue our conversation with our Rome correspondent, Ashley Nerona on this special feast day, this Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. Ashley, uh, welcome back.
1: John, I am very happy to be with you and very happy to be able to speak on this beautiful feast day, a feast day that is celebrated in such a, a... real and special way here in the motherland and in, in italia
2: you were uh, talking before the break uh, about the uh, the lighting of the rome christmas tree uh, tell us what's that like i'm sure there's a, a lot of anticipation for for this day
1: <laughs> john that's going to happen today at 5 p.m and our new mayor of rome will actually unveil the christmas tree which is in pi Right in the heart of the city of Rome, right in front of the uh, monuments to King Victor Emmanuel II. And I have to say that a lot of people know that Piazza better because there's a nickname for that monument, which is the wedding cake. So when I say that, then many may be able to visualize exactly where that beautiful Christmas tree is. And after the tree is lit, then the lights of the Via del Corso will go on as well. And that is the main shopping street of Rome. So it's with this that the Christmas season will officially kick off and all of the excitement and festivities will begin here, John
2: and uh, the vatican uh, christmas tree is also uh, being uh, lit uh, and the, the nativity scene uh, ready to go here on this day
1: it's ready to go exactly so this is actually the 40th christmas tree in saint peter's square the tradition goes all the way back to 1982 started by pope saint john paul ii and this year's tree it's 98 feet it comes from the northern from northern italy from the trentino region and it's a, a beautiful red fir that comes from the Andalo forest, which is right there on the Italian border with Austria. So this tree this year has been decorated with lovely handmade wooden Christmas decorations that were made by artisans of that same region. So in just two days on the 10th, that tree will be lit with a wonderful lighting ceremony right there in St. Peter's square and uh, Archbishop um, Gazaga, who's the president of the governor of the Vatican City, will be presiding. It's, it's just a festive and fun experience. There's a band, there's different talks, uh, it, it's just a, a really lovely evening. And also, as is tradition, on the 10th will be unveiled not only the tree, but also the nativity scene, the crib, uh, this which this year is coming from Peru's Chapka nation in the Andean mountains. And this is meant to be a tribute to the ancient Andean indigenous people and culture, and there's over 30 figurines that have been created by five different artists. So. The tree, the nativity scene, they will remain there until the 9th of January for for pilgrims to experience. So once that is unveiled and I get to actually see that nativity scene uh, with my own eyes, I look forward to sharing that with you, John, then, too.
2: What about the decorations inside of St. Peter's Basilica? I I just can't even begin to imagine Mm. how breathtaking it's going to look.
1: Right. So in St. Peter's Basilica, the one thing that happens is they place a nativity scene there at at one of the altars. This year, it's actually... Uh, not at the usual altar, which used to be at the uh, baptismal font area of the basilica. It's, it's in a different place this year. So it's another opportunity for pilgrims to come and really spend time in quiet meditation inside of the church, uh, focusing, of course, on that moment of the birth of Christ when he was born into the busy world at that 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 perfect moment in time to come to save us from our sins. So, yes, it's also a wonderful place to visit during these days,
2: John. Ashley, I I want to circle back uh, to the Holy Father, Pope Francis, uh, who made a special tribute today uh, visiting uh, the uh, statue of the Immaculate Conception there in Roma, a statue that Father Rocky talked about yesterday, because there's an exact duplicate of it at Mundelein Seminary here uh, in uh, the Archdiocese of Chicago.
1: Oh, wonderful. Well, yes, that statue actually stands on top of a a very tall column here right next to the Spanish steps. And traditionally, the Pope goes every year on this day and offers a, a bouquet to Our Lady. Now, for the last couple of years, sadly, that event has been canceled. But this morning at 6.15 a.m., so it was still dark here in Rome. And uh, before it started raining, because we've had a lot of rain lately, Pope Francis went and he visited there uh, to that, that piazza and, and prayed in the front of The Piazza di
2: Spagna. The Spagna. Bravo, I remember, I remember the, the train España. stop.
1: Exactly. Exa- well, see, you'll know exactly how to get there next year. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, that's exactly where he went, and and he turned to Our Lady in prayer. Uh, it, the The Vatican said that he was especially asking for her intercession for the sick in the world and for the healing of people suffering from war. He also prayed for the conversion of many to melt the hearts of stone of the sinful. He spent about five minutes there in prayer, John, and then he went to uh, the church of St. Mary Major to that icon of Our Lady health of the people of Rome, which is the same place which he visited on the 6th when he returned from Cyprus uh, to spend some time in prayer there. So he returned to the Vatican this morning, shortly before 7 a.m. and was able to make that special prayerful tribute to Our Lady on this special day.
2: I love it. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful tribute to, and a, a beautiful uh, faith of our Holy Father that he has, that love and devotion uh, to our Blessed Mother. Uh, it, it, Ashley, tell us uh, about uh, the extremely cold weather that has hit Italy Ooh, uh, this past yes. week. Is that affecting yeah. Rome, and is it affecting this feast day?
1: John, it is. In fact, it's really coming to a culmination today. They're calling it the um the immaculate storm because it's supposed to hit really hard today so there are cold air masses that have been coming down from icy northern europe and then it's bringing snow especially in the north of italy and then these intense southerly cold winds have been flowing over what what are otherwise mild more mild areas like sardinia and tuscany and lazio where we are um, so this is, it's a cyclonic vortex, actually, that's being fed by the cold air, and it's coming in through the Alps, it's bringing with it snow and driving rain, so not our favorite gift here on the Feast of the Amacolata, the immaculate storm coming our way, but nevertheless, we are bundling up and uh, battening down the hatches.
2: The Feast of St. Nicholas uh, was celebrated in a special way, as it always is, in Bari. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to us a little bit about those celebrations.
1: You know, John, it's perfect. <laughs> St. Nicholas is the patron of Bari, and so, so you can imagine that the celebrations there are grand and wonderful. This year, instead of the, the usual procession through the streets of Bari, they decided to do a St. Nicola mobile. <laughs> so think Pope mobile, but instead with St. Nicholas. And so, sure enough, they managed to process the statue throughout those interesting ancient streets of Bari. Uh, it was followed by hot chocolate for the, the viewers. There was a nighttime torchlight procession, then fireworks. And of course, uh, on the, his feast day itself, were multiple masses throughout the day. So St. Nicholas is so important to not only the people of Mari, but of course the people of all Italy. And he is also, of course, such an important patron of the Orthodox Church. On the 19th of December, there's going to be a special Orthodox liturgy uh, showing there at the the burial place of St. Nicholas, but especially showing the devotion of this saint who has always had the gift of uniting the east and the west john
0: yeah that
2: reminds me uh, we never really talked too much about uh, the trip uh, to cyprus and greece but uh, one of the things that really sticks out from that trip was the holy father's uh, prayer for uh, unity between uh, the eastern orthodox and, and the catholics uh, I, I was very moved by seeing those images of the holy father uh, with the uh, the patriarch in front of the image of our, our blessed mother
1: Mm-hmm. That was a moving image from that 35th Apostolic visit abroad. That six day trip that he made to Cyprus in Greece. Uh, of course, the the finale was a meeting with young people, and from there he he set off back to Rome and. Uh, and since that time, of course, he has been talking, especially about entrusting the people of Cyprus and Greece to Our ladies, to Our Lady, mentioning that he was moved by the many encounters and faces and, and stories that he heard there, and has entrusted them, passed those right on to the care of Our Lady, John.
2: And and finally, um, what's going on with the olive uh, uh, farmers in Italy that have been uh, fighting uh, tree diseases?
1: Yeah, well, you know, John, this is something that we have been uh, talking about and following for uh, quite a few years, really since 2013, when sadly, this terrible uh, pathogen started to devastate olive trees in Puglia, Italy. And these poor olive farmers have been absolutely helpless. Well, there's good news in this Christmas season because they've actually managed to train detection dogs. So these dogs are capable of sniffing out the pathogen in the early stages, even before any symptoms appear on the trees. So this is really exciting. They're saying it could be vital in the battle against this pathogen. And uh, they're hoping that this is going to help save the precious olive harvest of Puglia Italy so that we can all keep enjoying delicious olive oil coming from over here in Bella Italia.
2: Sounds great. Uh, man's best friend coming through once again.
1: That's it. We can always count on him.
2: Well, thanks so much, Ashley, as always, uh, for bringing Rome to home. Happy feast day of the Immaculate Conception.
1: John, thank you so much.
2: Buona festa. God bless you. Buona festa. Ashley Narona, a Rome <laughs> correspondent who joins us every Wednesday from the Eternal City. You can listen to her reports on the Relevant Radio app. Just go to Relevant in Rome. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn's Story Corner.
0: Our story today is called Merry Christmas, My Marine, by James M. Schmitz, USMC. Twas the night before Christmas he lived all alone in a one-bedroom house made of plaster and stone. I'd come down the chimney with presents to give, and to see just who in this home did live. As I looked all about, a strange sight I did see. No tinsel, no presents, not even a tree. No stocking by the fire, just boots filled with sand. On the wall hung pictures of a far-distant land, with medals and badges, awards of all kind, A sobering thoughts whom came to my mind, for this house was different. Unlike any I'd seen, this was the home of a U.S. Marine. I'd heard stories about them, I had to see more, and so I walked down the hall and pushed open the door. As he lay there sleeping silent alone, curled up on the floor in his one bedroom home. He seemed so gentle, his face so serene, not how I pictured a U.S. Marine. Was this the hero of whom i just read, curled up in his poncho, a floor for his bed? His head was clean-shaven, his weathered-face tan. I soon understood this was more than a man, for I realized the families that I saw that night owed their lives to these men who were willing to fight. Soon around the nation, the children would play and grown-ups would celebrate on a bright Christmas day. They all enjoyed freedom each month and all year because of Marines like this one laying here. I couldn't help wonder how many lay alone on a cold Christmas Eve in a land far from home, Just the very thought brought a tear to my eye. I dropped to my knees and I started to cry. He must have awoken for I heard a rough voice. Santa don't cry, this life is my choice. I fight for freedom, I don't ask for more. My life is my God, my country, my core. With that he rolled over, drifted off into sleep. I couldn't control it, I continued to weep. I watched him for hours, so silent and still, I noticed he shivered from the cold night's chill. So I took off my jacket, the one made of red, and covered this marine from his toes to his head. Then I put on his T-shirt of scarlet and gold, with an eagle globe and anchor emblazoned so bold, and although it barely fit me, I began to swell with pride, and for one shining moment I was Marine Corps deep inside. I didn't want to leave him so quiet in the night, this guardian of honor so willing to fight, but half asleep he rolled over, and in a voice clean and pure, he said, Carry on, Santa, it's Christmas Day, all secure. One look at my watch, and I knew he was right. Merry Christmas, my friend, semper fi, and good nights. Romans 5, 7, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might dare to die. Thanks so
2: much, Glenn. Coming up next hour on this Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we're going to talk about the dogma with Catholic apologist and international speaker and debater William Autrick. And career coach Bruce Lockenauer will join us with the latest on the job market and more on 12 Steps to Landing Your Dream Job. Stay with us. There's much more to come next hour here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.